The story of the story of the destruction of the first temple or the end of the first kingdom of Israel. Jeremiah is one of, or Yirmiyahu in Hebrew, is one of three major prophets in scripture. We know that there were thousands of prophets, most of whom are not mentioned by name. We have the names of 55 prophets, 48 men and seven women who served as prophets uh, that are named in scripture. Um, Many of whom we actually have words of prophecy, some of which we don't actually have any quoted prophecy, but they're mentioned as having been prophets. Um, But we have a number of small prophets that give us bits and pieces here and there. Um, We have 12 small books of prophecy. But the major, we have three major works of prophecy. um, Yeshayahu, um, Isaiah, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, and Yechezkel, Ezekiel. Those are three major prophets. So Jeremiah is one of the three major prophets. He is a Kohen. He is the son of Chilkiyahu, who was a high priest, a Kohen Gadol. So he was a very, from a very prestigious family. He was from a place in Israel, we're told, called Anatot. And the Midrash actually says that he was a descendant of Joshua. Joshua, toward the end of his life, married a Canaanite woman whose name was Rachav, who had saved um, two spies that had gone to Jericho. Story of itself, we should do a story about the capture of Jericho. Um, and uh, Joshua had later married her, and they were descendants of Joshua. He was, uh, Jeremiah was the descendant of Joshua and Rachav. So Jeremiah begins prophecy in the 13th year of the reign of King Yoshiahu or Josiah, in the anglicized way to say it. And that was in the Jewish counting, and now for counting in general, um, and we spoke about this previously, there are some variances. The Greeks have a whole different history than we do, um, chronology than we do, but from our, we're going to use our countings. So in the Jewish countings, he began his prophecy in 488 BCE. So we're talking about 2,500 years ago, almost to the year, almost the day. So most of Jeremiah's prophecy is warning the people about the impeding war, the destruction, and the exile. And he's encouraging them to turn away from their evil ways to avoid these tragedies. He also prophesizes about the future redemption. They will rebuild the temple. They will come back after 70 years. And he also speaks about a future redemption in years to the future of a time of goodness that Isaiah had spoken about in great detail. Now, Yirmiyahu, because he was a prophet of destruction, most of his prophecies speak about the coming destruction. He suffered greatly. The people didn't want to change. They didn't want to hear his prophecy. And so they didn't like his negative predictions. And they, and they thought he was demoralizing the people, especially during war. And so Yirmiyahu suffered greatly. And um, as we'll see, he was put in prison multiple times. Um, he also had to contend with false prophets. There were many false prophets at the time who said, God will save Israel, Israel will not be harmed. And Jeremiah was forced to deal with them and fight with them um, throughout his lifetime. So to understand the story of Yirmiyahu, of Jeremiah, you need a little, we need to know a little bit of our geopolitical history from the, we're talking about from the about 2,500 years ago. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, 
The Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent is the ancient civilized world, an area going from the Persian Gulf up along the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, up into what today is southern Turkey and northern Syria. And then it comes down along the fertile valleys of Syria and Lebanon, down through Israel and down to Egypt to the Nile River. So that was the Fertile Crescent. That was the center cradle of civilization. Um, we know that's where the first people had settled in that area. And so, and our people, of course, for, from its very beginning, lived in that area. So for a very long time, hundreds and hundreds of years, the Fertile Crescent was essentially a patchwork of small tribes and nations. There were some very small tribes, different nations that lived all along the Fertile Crescent. Israel was one of those nations, one of the larger of those nations, that inhabited an area geographically known as their Southern Levant. The Levant is a French word for the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. Israel inhabited the southern eastern coast of the Mediterranean. It still does today. So Israel was one of the larger tribes. Now, after the, one of the larger nations, after the death of King Solomon, which according to our tradition was in 794 BCE. So we're talking about almost more than 2,800 years ago. So Israel is split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was a kingdom of ten tribes, and it was known as the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was a kingdom of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and it was known as the kingdom of Judah, Yehuda in Hebrew. So these two kingdoms continued for over 200 years. Israel was split between two kingdoms. At times these two kingdoms fought wars with each other. At times they got along with each other. Um, it varied, but these two kingdoms continued. And they dealt with their neighbors. They had neighbors to the south, Edom, neighbors to the east, uh, Ammon, Moab, Midianites. They had their, neighbor, their neighbors to the north, um, which were the Tsidonites in modern-day Sidon or Lebanon, and the, Ar the Aramites or Arameans, which were modern-day Syria. was Aram. So they dealt with their neighbors. At times they were stronger than their neighbors. Sometimes their neighbors were stronger than them. They had constant wars. However, in the early 6th century BCE, um, the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians, which is a tribe, a nation that was based in Nineveh, a town still today in the northern Tigris River, in northern Iraq, on the Tigris River in northern Iraq. In the town of Nineveh, the Assyrians built a, started capturing first Mesopotamia. They spread eastward, going to Elam and to Persia, and they moved eastward and they moved westward um, along the um, Tigris and Euphrates rivers down into Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, and Aram, modern-day Syria, and they capture much of the Fertile Crescent, and um, they begin to, they now threaten Israel. Israel is now essentially the only standing, that Israel and its small nations around it are the only nations still standing independent of this huge Assyrian empire that has risen. 
Now, after this multiple incursions by the Assyrians, until finally they capture the northern kingdom's capital, Shomron, or Samaria, in 553 BCE, the Assyrians capture the northern kingdom. They exile the northern kingdom. Now, the Assyrians had a problem. But this was before the later Persians and Greeks are going to build roads and find and garrisons and find, figure out efficient ways to move large militaries very quickly. The Assyrians didn't figure that out yet. So for them to get for their, their armies from one end of the kingdom to the other took years. So they needed a way to keep their kingdom, their empire intact without all the different nations rebelling. So they came up with a very simple solution. Every nation and tribe that they conquered, they moved. They moved them. They moved them, spread them out across the kingdom, essentially forcibly assimilating everyone into an Aramaic-speaking, a single Aramaic-speaking people, and they essentially made the entire Fertile Crescent into a single Aramaic-speaking nation. And so they exiled the ten tribes, they exiled them to Mesopotamia, and they bring in their place a group of people from um, towns around Mesopotamia from the Kut area called Kutim, or later known as Samaritans, to settle northern, in northern Israel. Eight years later, um, the, the um, Assyrians continue their conquest, and they now try cap- moves, moving south, try to cap- capturing Judea. They've captured much of Judea. And Sancherib, the king of the Assyrian emperor, brings his army, 185,000 officers, to Jerusalem to capture Jerusalem. And in, it's a story for itself. I'm not going to tell the story now. Um, I'm do a class on that. Um, on, in one night, all 185,000 officers die at the gates of Jerusalem. And Sancherib comes back to Nineveh in defeat, total defeat. Um, Hiskiah, who is the king of, of Judea at that time, um, extends his reign over all of Israel and now creates a united Israel um, for the first time in over 200 years and creates this strong nation of Israel. Many of the ten tribes come back. They create this strong, this strong nation of Israel that lasts for another hundred years. So the Assyrian Empire continues to last um, for a little over a hundred years, but it begins, weak, it begins to weaken, begins falling apart, losing power, and gradually there were many sub-kings within the Assyrian Empire under Assyrian rule, and many of the sub-kingdoms began to themselves build their own power over time. So, fast forward to our period, the time of Jeremiah. Um, a great-grandson of King Chizkiyahu um, was king... Yoshiyahu, Yoshiyahu or Josiah, was very, very righteous, a very righteous king. And while refurbishing, he goes through a campaign to refurbish the temple. The temple stood for over 400 years, Solomon's temple, and therefore buildings don't last that long, even the way they built back then, which was a lot better than the way they built today. And so they, they constantly needed refurbishing. And in scripture, it tells us that the first temple went through two major refurbishings. So they refurbished the temple, um, And while they're refurbishing it, they discover the original Torah written by Moses. And you've heard this story from me. 
they discover the original Torah written by Moses had been hidden when an earlier king was on a campaign to, and the earlier evil king was on a campaign to burn Torahs, and they find this Torah written by Moses, they open it up, the, the portion of Nitzavim, at the very end of the Torah, which speaks about how because you do not listen to God, God will destroy your land and exile you from your land. They go call the prophetess Chulda. The Talmud says they did not call the prophet Jeremiah, because Yoshiel says Jeremiah always speaks, says bad things. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. But um, they call the prophetess Chulda and she says, indeed, um, uh, Jerusalem will soon be destroyed because of your evil ways. Yoshiel then embarks on a great tshuva campaign, a great uh, return campaign to get all of Israel to get rid of their idols, send soldiers around every Jewish home, to destroy all the idols and try to get everyone to um, change their ways. He's unsuccessful. Um, people do not change their ways. They just continue to do evil in hiding. Um, Jeremiah in his prophecy describes in great detail the evil they did. Firstly, they worshipped idols, um, took on pagan uh, rites, including burning their children, which was a Canaanite um, pagan rite. Um, they also did not treat each other well. Uh, they mistreated poor. They mistreated widows and orphans. Uh, they weren't good to each other. There was a lot of murders. Um, there was a lot of... Yeah, these, these were Jews. It was, a, it was a terrible time. People were doing a lot of bad things. And so um, Yoshiel tries to get people to change. And Jeremiah continues to prophesize about the impeding destruction. And um, people do not change. And um, so, although for the next, for two decades, Jeremiah is warning the people and the um, king Yoshiahu is trying to force the people to do good, they do not listen. I have a question. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If Jeremiah uh, was prophesizing before trying to change the people, was he first trying to change them and then prophesizing if they do not change, then these things will happen? Yes, yes. He was saying change or these things are going to happen. Yes. And he was predicting all the terrible things that will happen if they do not change their ways. But they didn't. <coughs> so now, according to our counting, in 447 BCE, it's a little, just under 2,500 years ago, the Assyrian Empire is now collapsing. It's greatly weakened. And so Pharaoh in Egypt, Egypt um, had fallen apart after our exodus from Egypt for hundreds of years. But by the days of King Solomon, it had returned as a nation and it had, was, had, was again a powerful nation, um, mostly in Africa because it didn't have access to the Middle East because Israel was in its way. Israel blocked it. And Israel was an independent country. However, at this point, the king of Egypt, his name was Pharaoh Necho, um, saw his opportunity to destroy Assyria. He always felt threatened by Assyria because he was always afraid that Assyria will capture Judea and then from there march on to Egypt. So um, he, seeing that Assyria was collapsing, he saw an opportunity to destroy Assyria. And so he asked King Yoshiau, who was his ally, for permission to cross Israel to fight Assyria. King Yoshiahu refused. He was almost certainly afraid that once Pharaoh captures Assyria, he will remain there and take over the Assyrian Empire, and Judea will lose its independence. So King Yoshiahu, so Pharaoh attacks Israel and captures Israel in a very big battle at Megiddo, 
um, ending more than 400 years of Israel's independence. King Yoshiao himself is killed on the battlefield um, in a horrible um, in a horrible way. And um, Jeremiah, actually, in his book Jeremiah, writes, in, sorry, in the book of Kings, writes a eulogy for the righteous king Yoshiahu. Pharaoh continues on to Assyria, where he fails to, um, in a battle against Assyria, but he retains control over Judea, which is just north of Egypt. And um, he installs King Yoshiahu's son, Yehoiachaz, as king instead, but as a um, king right under, under um, as a vassal king under um, Pharaoh's rule. After a few months, he changes his mind. He doesn't like Yehoiachas. He has Yehoiachas killed. And he instead installs Yehoiachas's brother, Yehoiakim, as king, another son of King Yoshiach. Yehoiakim, unlike his father, is a very, very wicked man. He's a very wicked king. Um, the Talmud says he went on a campaign to try to break every single rule of the Torah. So he was a um, very bad individual. And um, Jeremiah renewed his warnings to the people. They better change their ways. Or they had already lost their independence. They were under Egyptian rule. But destruction was coming. The leadership was very upset at Jeremiah. And so many officers wanted to have Jeremiah killed. They seized Jeremiah when he was prophesying in the temple and they wanted him killed. Other defendants, defend, uh, defenders of Jeremiah said, no, his prophecy, he's simply echoing the prophecy of other prophets. At the same time as Jeremiah, there was another prophet, Uriah, who was also prophesying along with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was very well known and very famous and he was from a very prestigious family. Um, Uriah was not. And so they had, they let out their anger on Uriah. They wanted to have Uriah killed. Uriah fled to Egypt. However, Yehoiakim had Pharaoh extradite him back to Judea. And he had the prophet Uriah killed. However, he, they did not kill Jeremiah, though they had wanted to. But they did uh, lock Jeremiah up, putting him in prison. Um, because of all the bad prophecy that he was saying. At this time... While Jeremiah was in prison, while this was happening, um, God, uh, God commands Jeremiah in prison in Jerusalem to write a book, the book of Echa, or Lamentations. It's a book of poetry, lamenting the terrible suffering that Israel will suffer through the destruction of Jerusalem. As if it had already happened. It laments that how did this happen and that happened and tells us all the things that happened. And he writes three chapters of the book of Echa. And he tells his disciple Baruch. Baruch had, was, visit, was his disciple, Baruch the son of Neriah. And he was visiting him, him in prison. He had access to him. He gives him the book and tells him to go read it in public. They tell the king that Baruch is reading this book that Jeremiah had supposedly written of terrible things that will befall our people. Um, starts off, um, how did this great city sit alone? All of its officers and leaders went into prison. Speaks of how the, um, the te terrible famine that there was, how people don't have food, parents are eating their own children. It tells of terrible things in the book of um, Echa, the book of Lamentations. 
And so when the king hears about it, he orders Baruch be brought to him to read the book. Baruch comes to him, he grabs the book from Baruch, throws it into the fire, burning the book. God tells Jeremiah the book was burned, write it again, and this time add, an, add another chapter, add the fourth chapter, and have it read again. While this was happening in Israel, major changes were taking place to their north. In Nineveh, the, uh, the Assyrian Empire, which has now stood for well over 100 years, and was, um, had been greatly, greatly weakened, though they had withstood the battle with the Egyptians, had been greatly weakened. At this time, there was a, um, a king, a vassal king, under um, the rule of, um, under the, under the, in the Assyrian Empire, called Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Kasti, or Chaldean, and um, he, was, he lived in a town, he, he, he lived in a town called Babel, or Babylon, and he brought an army, and he um, takes um, Nineveh by surprise, the capital of Nineveh, and captures the capital of Nineveh, taking over the, the Assyrian Empire and making himself emperor. He goes so far and he moves the center, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, to Babylon, his own city where he felt more secure. And the empire now from now on becomes known as the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar then goes about building a very powerful army and goes about solidifying the Assyrian Empire and immediately embarks on a campaign to enlarge the Assyrian Empire. And as part of his campaign, he invades Judea. And, um, and uh, this is, he invades Judea and he captures Judea from the Egyptians. Upon entering Jerusalem... He um, sacks the temple, takes all of the gold and silver and treasures of the temple um, with him. They were too good to leave. And then he also, as he had done in many of his um, conquests, he takes a number of Judean princes and aristocratic children as hostages to be raised um, in Babylon so that if they ever rebel, they will kill their children. That was... Um, one of his ways of keeping control over his kingdom. Four of those princes who were taken as hostages later become very famous, become very powerful in the Babylonian Empire. Um, Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel ends up having his own book and becomes famous for his dreams. Um, but they, they were four of the princes that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar at this point. Anyway, six years later, Yehoiakim in um, 436 BCE, Yehoiakim, the king, rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, um, signs a treaty with Egypt. Egypt's going to stand with him and give him independence now if he manages to, if he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is far away in Babylon. It will take him a year or two just to get, bring his army over to Jerusalem. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar comes um, with his men, and he captures Jerusalem. Uh, and he, he brings his army to Jerusalem. Yehoiakim, seeing the size of the Babylonian army, knows that fighting the Babylonian army is futile. He doesn't stand a chance against them, and so he gives himself up to the Babylonians, um, 
it surrenders himself on condition that they spare the city of Jerusalem and spare Judea, allow Judea the nominal independence or the nominal autonomy that it had. And so Nebuchadnezzar kills Yehoiakim and instead installs his son, Ye- uh, his son Yehoiachin. Could be confusing. He installs his son Yehoiachin as king. Nebuchadnezzar heads back to Babylon. He doesn't get very far. He's on his way back. He gets as far as a place called Rivla. And his advisors say, what, did you, what, do you, what do you think you did? You installed the son of the fellow who rebelled against you as king. He's probably got the same genes as his father. He's going to soon rebel against you as well. So Nebuchadnezzar turns around and comes back to Jerusalem. And this time, he takes Yehoiakim, sorry, Yehoiachin, together with the entire royal family, all the leading Kohanim, all the leading priests, all the aristocrats and nobles of Judea, all of the religious leadership, the entire Supreme Council, the entire Sanhedrin and their family, all of the military leaders, all of the, all of the business leaders, and essentially every important person in Judea, more than 10,000 people in total, are Nebuchadnezzar takes with him back to Babylon. His goal, to ensure that there is a leadership vacuum, so that they don't try to rebel against him again. And now this actually turns out to be a very great blessing in disguise. Why? Some years later, so, um, some 12 years later, um, the rest of Israel is going to be brought to Babylon after a bitter battle. They're going to be brought to Babylon as slaves in chains. But meanwhile, during this period, many wealthy Jews, many successful Jews, smart Jews, had been brought with their families to Babylon with their wealth. They were allowed to take their money with them. They had settled in Babylon. They had bought lands, built businesses, been very, very successful during this little over a decade. And when their fellow Jews are going to come as slaves, they're going to be able to secure their freedom, help them settle in Babylon, and be able to build a strong Jewish um, community in Babylon that will last as soon Jews will become the majority in the, in the region of Babylon and um, will create a Jewish autonomous state that will last a thousand years. So, so anyway, meanwhile, back to Israel, back to the land of Judea. So um, Yehoiakim is dead. Yehoiachin, um, is, his son, has been taken as prisoner. Yehoiachin is prisoner for many, many, many years until eventually he's released by Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, meanwhile, installs a third son of King Yoshiahu, the youngest son of King Yoshiahu, um, third son to be king, um, Sidkiahu, he installs him as king, and he signs a treaty with him that he will not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and makes him swear by the God of Israel that he will not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Meanwhile, Jeremiah, after Yoyakim is killed and Yoyakim is exiled, Jeremiah is let out of jail, and Jeremiah continues his prophecy, telling the people that they should um, 
not, they should, uh, firstly, he tells them to change their ways, and if they don't, the terrible things that will happen. And he also warns them not to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. Is Judea, because of their evil ways, is destined to remain for the, uh, for the future, for the foreseeable future, is destined to remain a vassal state in the Babylonian Empire. They will not gain independence, and they should not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. That lasted nine years. After nine years, King Tzidkiyahu allies himself again with the Egyptians and again rebels against the Babylonians, against King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Jeremiah says, warns them against it, says this is the beginning of the end. You are now going to Israel. uh, Jerusalem will be destroyed now that you have rebelled. The temple will be destroyed and all of you will go to exile. He sends a message to... um, He sends a message to the Jews in Babylon. um, Go buy land in Babylon. Settle in Babylon. Because now that Israel has rebelled against... Now that Judea has rebelled against Babylon, it is over. And um, the... um, and you are there to stay. You are not going to leave for a very, very long time. And so, um, and so Jeremiah, uh, and he also in this famous me- in this message that he sends, he tells them to seek out the welfare of the country where they are. And this is this has been seen by our um, sages throughout the years as a message to Jews living outside of the land of Israel, that we have an obligation to seek out the welfare of the country wherever we are. We have to seek out the interests of our own country, defend our country, be patriotic wherever we are. So that's kind of the Jews have always been among the most patriotic people um, in any country they've been in, despite always being accused of dual loyalties. So... um, so at this, so, um, so at this point, um, Jeremiah is speaking about how Jerusalem will be destroyed. But there is a false prophet whose name is Hananiah ben Azar. Hananiah ben Azar says, don't worry, Israel, fight, uh, fight Nebuchadnezzar. Israel will throw off the yoke of Babylon. Jeremiah is lying. And Jeremiah had to argue with him in public. And Jeremiah, and Jeremiah argues with him as follows. Jeremiah says, if my words turn out to be false, in other words, if Jerusalem is not captured because you change your, the people change their ways, then I would be, I'm still a true prophet. But if your words turn out to be false and Jerusalem is captured, you are a false prophet. Jeremiah says, I wish you were right. I wish you were right. God should only will that your prophecy should be true. But you're not, you're lying. And um, Jeremiah continued to say how, tell the people um, that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And he encouraged them that as soon as the Buchanetzar comes, they should immediately surrender so that the people should, can be exiled without anyone being hurt. People refused to listen. Instead, they said, they, uh, they um, build, uh, fortify the walls of Jerusalem and get ready for a long siege. Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, lays siege to Jerusalem, as we said, on the 10th of the Hebrew month of Tevet. 
Um, Tzidkiyahu sends a message to Pharaoh who had promised that he would defend him from the Babylonians. Jeremiah laughed at the Egyptians. Jeremiah said, the Egyptians are like a um, rod that you lean on and it breaks. So um, they'll fall, you call them, they'll fall straight away. Indeed, the Egyptians come with a large army to to, um, counter the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar gets scared and he moves away from Jerusalem, goes to face the Egyptians. The Egyptians themselves back down and turn around and go back to Egypt. The Babylonians then come back to Jerusalem. During this time, Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah to go to try to leave Jerusalem, go to the cities of Benjamin um, and say prophecy over there. And um, Jeremiah attempts to smuggle himself out, outside of the besieged city. Jeremiah is caught trying to smuggle himself outside of the city. That was a crime. And so Jeremiah is thrown into prison. Many of his detractors um, were, uh, wanted to kill Jeremiah. They were afraid to actually kill him. So they put him into a pit of mud or mortar that he would sink in and die very quickly. Sidkiyahu, um, the king, hears that Jeremiah was placed in this mortar pit. Um, his, uh, Jeremiah's student Baruch came to tell King Sidkiyahu. Sidkiyahu had respect for Jeremiah and Sidkiyahu has him taken out and has him put in a regular prison. Um, but Jeremiah continues from the prison, continues to say prophecy, calling on the people to, um, to surrender, not to continuing, continue to fight. Um, in fact, King Tzidkiyahu himself calls Jeremiah secretly from the prison. He didn't want anyone to know that he trusted Jeremiah. Uh, calls Jeremiah secretly from the prison, asks Jeremiah what God has to say. And Jeremiah tells Tzidkiyahu, God says you should surrender immediately. Your life will be spared. The life of your family will be spared. The life of all these people will be spared. Only the city will be destroyed and you'll be taken to exile. Because if you do not surrender and fight through to the bitter end, you will be killed. Your children will be killed. You will see your children killed in front of your eyes. And um, your, um, your entire family and um, many Jews will be killed. Tzikiyahu accepts what Jeremiah says, but he doesn't listen to him. Um, Meanwhile, the people continue to fight. There is a brutal siege for over three years. And then, after three years' siege, meanwhile, the people are starving. In the book, all the prophecy of lamentations come to be true. There is no food in Jerusalem. There is no access to food. People have nothing to eat. People turn to cannibalism. Um, there, there's nothing to eat. They're dying of starvation. People are giving themselves up simply because they cannot. Um, they have, simply because they had nothing to eat. The uh, Babylonians, meanwhile, continue to assail the walls until finally, on the 17th of the month of Tammuz, they breach the walls of Jerusalem. We actually have two dates in the book of Jeremiah. It says in one place, um, the ninth of the month of Tammuz. But the Talmud says that the correct date is actually the 17th of the month of Tammuz. So the walls of Jerusalem are breached. The Babylonians continue to fight the people, um, hand fighting, um, street to street. Um, many people retreat to the Temple Mount, which itself was fortified. Um, the Babylonians managed to breach the Temple Mount um, and enter the Temple Mount. And then on the ninth day of the month of Av, 
they um, burn the temple, they destroy the temple, they burn the temple down. And um, the Jeremiah himself had a underground passageway, uh, sorry, Tzidkiyahu, King Tzidkiyahu himself, had an underground cave that went from Jerusalem all the way through the mountains eastward and came out in the Jordan, Jordan Valley, a couple miles eastward. He had an underground cave. And um, they've actually, they believe they've found this cave, um, Tzidkiyahu's cave. So Tzidkiyahu goes with his entire family and many of the leaders um, go through this cave, try to escape the Jordan Valley, hoping from there they'll be able to escape to the desert and be able to escape the Babylonian wrath. Um, the Bukhanetzar um, somehow gets wind of the cave and he manages to find Tzidkiyahu and his family. He has his children and family killed in front of him and then he um, has Tzidkiyahu killed as well. Um, the people, all the people left in Jerusalem, many people were killed um, in the bloodbath with the capture of Jerusalem. All the people left in Jerusalem are all taken, are all taken in chains as slaves back to Babylon. Uh, they won't end up being slaves because the Babylonian Jews will end up um, were very wealthy at the time and will end up purchasing them and um, buying them off and uh, they'll end up settling in Babylon. They're all taken in chains um, as slaves back to... Um, they're all taken as, as slaves back to um, Babylon. At that time, or over time, just very quickly, um, only um, a couple thousand people are allowed to remain in Judea. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want the land to be totally desolate. He doesn't want other people to move into the land or um, animals that take over the land, doesn't want the land to fall apart. So he leaves about 6,000 Jews um, in Judea, just a very small number, led, and he le- puts a governor, Gedalia ben Achikam, um, was, he appoints him as a governor in charge of the Jews in Judea, but there's only, again, a very, very small Jewish population that is left. Jeremiah, at this time, um, Jeremiah, um, Nebuchadnezzar knows who Jeremiah is, was a very famous individual at the time, knows that he had been encouraging them to surrender all this time and so he does not chain Jeremiah, he um, tells him I, he gives him the option, he can either come to Babylon with the people or he can um, or he can stay with the people in um, Judea and Jeremiah chooses to stay in Judea and so um, he stays there. He then goes, the Midrash tells us, he goes to Hebron, where he prays at the graves of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and asks them to help the people who are going to Babylon. And um, then he goes to Rachel's tomb in Bethlehem, and he prays over there. And uh, he has a famous prophecy where he speaks about Rachel crying for her children and God t- saying that um, they will return um, back to the land. Um, anyway, uh, Jeremiah encourages the people when they go to Babylon to um, settle there and um, be loyal to the Babylonian Empire. Um, he encourages the people in Judea to be loyal to the Babylonian Empire. Um, meanwhile, there is a um, fellow called um, Ishmael who is from the royal family and he had escaped with many others out into the desert. And he hears Gedaliah has been appointed governor as um, over Judea. He's very upset that a Jew would be a governor under Babylonian rule. And he saw him as a traitor to the Jewish people. 
And so Gedalia goes to visit him um, on Rosh Hashanah um, that year. And, uh, sorry, uh, Yishmael goes to visit Gedalia on Rosh Hashanah of that year. Gedalia welcomes him. He was a militia leader from the, coming from the desert. He, he encouraged him to bring all the other Jewish militias that had fled to the desert during the war, bring them back, let them settle the land. Um, he would give, he'll give them all farmland to be able to farm and resettle. The war is over um, and encourage him to bring all the Jews that have fled to the desert back. Um, Yishmael pretends to be his friend and um, they um, and celebrates with him and says he's going to help him. And then in the middle of the Rosh Hashanah meal, he gets up and he kills Gedalia. And so um, the governor, the Babylonian appointed governor has now been killed, which is why we have that fast right after Rosh Hashanah. And um, the Jews don't know what to do. The governor has been killed. Nebuchadnezzar is on his way back to Babylon, with most Jews, um, is going to hear about it. And he will be furious. They were afraid that he would kill all the remaining Jews in Israel. And so they come to Jeremiah and say, what should we do? Jeremiah says, do not worry. Go back to your plots of land and um, go farm them. Go settle the land and do not worry. Nothing will happen. They ignore the advice of Jeremiah and they are afraid. They decide to flee to Egypt. Jeremiah goes with them to Egypt. Doesn't want to leave them alone. They flee to Egypt where they end up worshipping idols over there. Some years later, Nebuchadnezzar captures Egypt. And when he captures Egypt, he kills all the Jews in Egypt. So that was their end. Jeremiah, it's not clear what happens to him in the end. Um, some traditions say that he dies in Egypt. And there's even a tradition as to where his grave is in Egypt, outside of Cairo. Um, others say that he went back to Israel and died there. And some even say he went to Babylon. We know what happened to his student, Baruch, went to Babylon, where he became the leader of the Jewish people in Babylon and remained the leader of the Jewish people for the next 70 years. He lived a very, very long life. And he was the teacher of Ezra, the famous leader at the beginning of the Second Temple. So that's the story in short of Jeremiah and the destruction of the first temple.